Let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 11. I've entitled this message this morning, The Most Detailed Prophecy in the Bible. And uh, by the time we're through with it, you'll see why. We won't even be able to get into most of the detail that is given in these chapters. Let's uh, pick it up where Paul read our text, chapter 11, verse 36. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods and shall prosper until the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the god of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall magnify himself above them all. But in their place he will honor a god of fortress and a god which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. And thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. At the time of the end, the king of the south will attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen, with many ships, and he will enter the countries and overwhelm them and pass through. He will also enter the glorious land, and many countries will be overthrown, but these will escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. He will stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and the north will trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the sea and the glorious holy mountain Yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. As we look uh, last week at chapter 10, 10, 11, and 12 um, are all dealing with the same vision. Uh, Therefore, chapter 11, where we are right now, is simply a continuation of uh, chapter 10. Now, the very importance of this chapter, what we're studying here this, this morning, causes Satan to hinder the angel that's coming to give this information to Daniel because of Daniel's prayer. This prophecy is going to deal with two of the nations which are very important in relation to Israel, Daniel, and his people. The two nations um, were Persia and Greece. Uh, The instrumental period... That was the time of Israel's greatest travail. They suffered terribly at the hands of both Syria and Egypt as these two nations warred against each other. Here's Israel caught in the middle, uh, Syria in the north and and, uh, Egypt in the south, and it was back and forth. Now, to, to get from Syria to Egypt, there's this narrow place, uh, the Gaza Strip borders there, and you have to go through there. So for years, there was this back and forth 
warring between, um, and it'll explain this in the first four verses here, and to help out with this a little bit, um, the chapter 11 begins with the Medo-Persians. Uh, but it's going to take us, by the time we're done with the chapter, all the way to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 11 is so detailed that the critics of the Bible say it has to be written at least one, if not 200 years after the fact. It's just too precise. It's just too spot on as prophecy. Uh, But I have a word for these critics, and that word would be Isaiah chapter 46, if you're taking notes this morning, 9 and 10, where the Lord says, Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel will stand, and I will do my pleasure. As I think of uh, this chapter and the spiritual warfare that took place in chapter 10, where it wasn't till uh, Michael um, showed up, the warrior, uh, this information, uh, Satan did not want Daniel to get his hands on, and that's the reason for chapter 10. Now, as I thought this through this week, I thought, why? Well, the very last verse, we'll cut to the quick and just look at it, of 45, talking about the devil, the Antichrist, It says, yet he will come to an end and no one will help him. Uh, The Antichrist, the devil, knows the information. And he wants it stopped at all cost. Boy, we could get sidetracked here real easy. The only way that a man can get to heaven, according to Jesus, there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Good place for an amen. You know how vital that information is? And when the Lord says, I am the only God, there is no other, we're talking about all the other gods that the world says there is. He says, there's not. It's a lie. And it comes from the father of lies. And if it's one thing that he doesn't want, and why Peter was the target, and so on and so forth, is we have and know and are commanded to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the most damaging tool towards the enemy and its most powerful weapon we have. We call it the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. And so with that, I'm going to put a little um, chart up just for a moment, and then I'm going to put another chart up that's going to stay for the duration of our message this morning. So this one here, the first one, is um, just it's a breakdown of Daniel chapter 11 uh, between 300 and 150 B.C., Uh, The first four verses are going to deal with Persia and Greece. Uh, Verses 5 through 20, Syria and Egypt, that's about 323 to 283 B.C. Uh, Verses 21 to 35 is going to deal with Antioch Epiphanes. 36, where we began our text this morning, there is a gap of uh, over 2,000 years, 2,500 years or so. Um, between verse 25, 35 and 36, and it has in view the future Antichrist. 
And then 40 through 45 deals with the king of the north and the south, um, which I believe also to be Russia. Now, with that much being said, I'm going to put up another chart, and hopefully uh, the detail will be easily, more easily understood as we put up this other chart. And then I want you to turn back to the beginning because we're going to go verse by verse through Daniel chapter 11, and we have 45 verses here. And um, so with this chart, it'll come together as we make our way through it, and you'll understand why (laughs) the critics of the Bible have such a problem with Daniel chapter 11. So let's read the first four verses, and I'm going to come back to verse 2. Also in the first year of Darius, the Mede, so this dates it. We're talking the, the Medes and the Persians are still in power. I even stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Uh, this would go back to verse 21. Uh, probably Michael, your prince, is speaking here. And now I tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will rise in Persia. So this is Medo-Persian Empire. And the fourth shall be far richer than them all. And by his strength through his riches he shall stir up against the realm of Greece. Um, I'm going to stop right there. Basically, the first two verses tells us the time frame. We're still in the Medo-Persian time frame. But let's go back for you that might be hearing, and this is your first time here and you're joining us in in chapter 11. In Daniel chapter 2, God gave to Daniel the interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream that said that there would be four world empires that would dominate the world. And um, it was described in Daniel 2 as an metallic image. But then in Daniel 7, it's repeated, but four different beasts, a lion, a bear, a leopard. And um, the fourth beast was uh, just called the dreadful a dreadful beast. So what we have in view here is, is Babylon has fallen to the Medo-Persians uh, in one night. And now we're going to be in transition. Uh, we're, we're told that Darius is here, but there's going to come up uh, three more after him. Now, in history, this is where, this is where it gets specific, very, very specific. Cambyses was the next one um, after Darius. Uh, Pseudo-Samertus would have been the, uh, the, the second. Uh, Darius, the third. And Xerxes would be the last one. Now, Xerxes is the one who invaded Greece in 480 BC. He was defeated. And never again did the Medo-Persians make a bid for world dominion. It was, we're taking, we're going from the Medo-Persian Empire now to the Grecian, which brings us to verse 3. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his own will. Probably the greatest military genius the world has ever known. Conquered the world by the age he was 32 and um, it then tells us in verse 4, And when he has risen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided 
toward the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion, which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted, even for others besides these. Now, we're talking about the empire of Alexander the Great being divided like the four winds. Now, we've talked about this before. And we're referring to the four generals that were under Alexander the Great. We know who they are. Cassander um, took Macedonia. Uh, Lysimachus took Asia Minor. Uh, Seleucus, we'll be talking about him a lot this morning. Uh, He took Syria and the remainder of the Middle East. Ptolemy would have taken Egypt. All four of these families, they warred amongst themselves back and forth, especially Syria and Ptolemy in Egypt, back and forth at the expense of Israel and how they suffered during this period of time. Eventually, they all lost their kingdoms when the Romans marched in. So here is so much information being given, and it's detailed. So when we get to verse 5 through 39, the remainder of Daniel 11, from 5 to 39, then documents in great detail the actions of these last two uh, kingdoms, Egypt to the south of Jerusalem, Uh, That's the location of Daniel's people. And Syria to the north of Jerusalem. In this section of scripture, the rulers and their successors are referred to here as the kings of the north. That would be Syria and the king of the south. That would be Egypt. So with that much being said, let's uh, take a look and we'll start with the first war. Um... And what we have here is Seleucus being uh, with Ptolemy as the kings. And in verse 5, it says, Then the king of the south shall become strong as one of his princes, and he shall gain power over him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. And so in verse 5, we have Egypt under Ptolemy, and he is the one who makes his first attack against um, Syria. Now, in verse 6, as this war went on, at, at the end of some years, they shall join forces, for the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an agreement But she shall not retain the power of her authority, and neither he nor his authority shall stand, but she shall be given up with those who brought her, and with him who begot her, and with him who strengthened her in those times. Now, gang, I read chapters on those two verses that I just read. And I said, Lord, we gotta, we got to shrink it somehow to just get through the study because of what, was just, what we just read here is so detailed in what happened. Um, I summed it up shortly like this. To form an alliance between these two warring families, Ptolemy of Egypt gave his daughter 
Bernice in marriage uh, to Antiochus of Syria. Antiochus was already married uh, to another, and then what goes on between these two families, a marriage, he gets rid of one, divorces another, marries another. This goes on and on, and it's detailed here. And what we have in verse 7 is, but from a branch of her root, that would be Bernice, um, one shall arise in his place and shall come with an army, enter the fortress of the king of the north and dwell with them and prevail. Now this, as you're looking at the chart, would be Ptolemy II. Now he's the brother of Bernice who came up with an army and captured now Syria. And he seized the fort, which was port of Antioch in that day. And remember, everything that's being given here, this is all future for, for Daniel. And he's writing this down as the message is being given to him. And yet, it has, uh, it has not um, yet happened for him. In verses 8 and 9, and then it says, And he shall also carry their gods captive to Egypt, and their princes and their precious articles of silver and gold, and he shall continue more years than the king of the north. So we have about 246 to 240 here. In verse 8 and 9, it's recorded that Ptolemy II here took into Egypt a booty of 4,000 talents of gold, 40,000 talents of silver, and 2,500 idols. I'll say that again, 2,500 idols. Um, And what's amazing here is the detail of the literal fulfillment of these events actually happening. Verses 10 through 14, let's see if we can get through four verses at one time. However, his son shall stir up strife and assemble a multitude of great forces, and one shall certainly come and overwhelm and pass through, and then he shall return to his fortress and stir up strife. And the king of the south shall be moved with rage and go out and fight with him, with the king of the north, who shall muster a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into the hand of his enemies. When he has taken away the multitude, his heart will be lifted up, and he will cast down tens of thousands, but he will not prevail. For the king of the north will return and muster a multitude greater than the former, and shall certainly come at the end of some years in a great army and much equipment. In those times, many shall rise up against the king of the south, also certain violent men of your people, now these would be Jews, shall exalt themselves in the fulfillment of the vision, but they shall fall. Let's just sum it up this way. Here you have continual warfare between Syria and Egypt going on for years, and the, the different wars are up there. We can see where uh, Bernice is brought into the picture and her son. Uh, without going into detail, 
Let me just say that during this period of time, Israel repeatedly made the wrong choice. They would, they, they would choose the wrong side. Whenever I go to an airport, I see there's four different lines. I think I know which one's moving the fast. Without exception, I always pick the slowest line. It's always one person that screws up the whole thing. And it's like here with Israel. They thought, well, we're going to go with Syria this time. And that's the worst thing that could have happened. Well, they're not doing too good. Now we're going to go with Ptolemy down in Egypt. Uh, they picked that one wrong. All that to say this, many in the nation of Israel were slain at this time. They incurred untold suffering from both the king of the north and the king of the south. They were caught in between the war zone. And uh, they became uh, the casualties. And it's only going to escalate and get worse from here. 15 and 16 So the king of the north shall come and build a siege mound and take a fortified city, and the forces of the south shall not withstand him. Even his choice troops shall have no strength to resist. But he who comes against him shall do according to his own will, and no one will withstand against him. He will stand in the glorious land, with destruction in his power. In verse uh, 15 and 16, uh, these two verses predict what history now records as the victory of Antiochus the Great over Egypt. This is a major historical um, fact that happened uh, with these generals of Alexander the Great. It was a decisive victory, And it caused Israel to suffer immeasurably because of this. Uh, This is a period of about 125 years that was fulfilled in extreme detail. Which brings us to somebody, if you haven't been familiar with any of these names, uh, um, Ptolemy or or Beatrice or or, um, Seleucus, you'll be familiar with this next one in verse 17. It tells us, and he shall set his face to enter with his strength of his whole kingdom and right ones with him, thus shall he do. And he shall give him the daughter of women, that's her title, to destroy it, but she shall not stand with him or be with him. This verse here brings us to about 195 uh, B.C., when Antiochus, when Antiochus the Great made a treaty with Egypt, he gave his daughter, who knows who it is, Cleopatra, to Ptolemy uh, in marriage. So Cleopatra, queen of Egypt, is not Egyptian. She is Syrian. This was another one of their attempts to make some sort of peace between these two warring nations. But in 18 through 20, we're going to see now the the, the decline and the beginning of the rise of Rome. So after this, he will turn his face to the coastland and shall take many, 
But a ruler shall bring the reproach against them to an end, and with reproach removed he shall turn back on him. Then he will turn his face toward the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. There shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom, but within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. And so from verses up till verse 20, the he there that shall turn his face to the isle is, is a reference to the island of Greece and the Greek islands. This is where Antiochus the Great was beginning to move at this time, not only against Ptolemy in the south, but against Lysimachus, uh, one of the generals who was interested in, in Asia. So, but what happens in here is we're introduced, and this is when uh, Rome began to tax Syria. And it actually has it mentioned here. This would have been the Romans. So now the Romans are coming into the picture. This would have been the fifth war, if you go look up on your map where you see Cleopatra. And now in verse 21, and in his place shall arise a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of loyalty, but he shall become, he'll come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. Now, for the first time, uh, we're introduced to Antioch Epiphanes. You'll notice on there that we have Antioch the first and Antioch uh, the second. We have Seleucus. Antioch the third, Antioch the third, and then Antioch the fourth, uh, and now we're coming up to him being the Antioch Epiphanes that is mentioned in as the little horn in Daniel, and what he does we've already studied, but uh, let's go through it again. So verse 21 is a reference to Antioch Epiphanes, who is a foreshadow of the Antichrist in Revelation 13. Now, verse 22 and 24. With the force of a flood, they shall be swept away before him and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant. And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. Like the Antichrist of the future, uh, he's, he's very sly. And he shall enter peaceably, even into the richest places of the province. He shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, spoil, and riches. And he shall devise his plans against the stronghold, but only for a time. Uh, the prince of the covenant that is being mentioned here was probably the high priest Onus III, who was disposed and murdered at this time by the deceitful devices of Antioch Epiphanes, who came in power. So he did this sort of uh, as a real sly coming in the back door and uh, sort of won them over. But his real intention was, of course, uh, to, to take over and have power. 
25 through 28. He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south will be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yes, those who eat of the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down and be slain. Both these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table. Seems like nothing changes over time. But it shall not prosper, for the end will be at the appointed time. While returning to his land, uh, this is Antioch Epiphanes, with great riches, his heart will be moved against the holy covenant, and so he shall do damage and return to his own land. So on his way back to Syria, he has a uh, stop in uh, the holy land. Um, these verses describe the, the campaign of, of Antiochus and his victory over the king of Egypt, and which, when he was bringing back much riches and plunder, they spoke lies at one table, refers to the fact that he was an unreliable liar. It also reveals the conference tables of that day were very much like the conference tables of our own day, when nations meet to make treaties which become meaningless scraps of paper. I can't help but think of the Oslo Accord as it pertains to uh, Yasser Arafat. And um, we actually had a seven-year agreement that, you know, it was worthless. It was lies. They said they would do it, do it but, of course, they didn't. Um, we had the Camp David Accord where we gave them everything they wanted. And even with that, Yasser Arafat gets up and just walks out after giving them everything that they'd asked for. Because what do they really want? Let me put it this way. What does the devil really want? The complete annihilation of the nation of Israel. Nothing less. They still have not acknowledged Israel as a nation. In Iran today, they still have their services. And we're the great Satan, and Israel is the little Satan. And they have their own prophecies concerning their Messiah. And the only way that they can bring this to pass is through these type of wars. A war of wars will bring back uh, their Messiah. So everything that the Lord has, it, it's interesting that the, the devil has his counterfeits. All right, that brings us to verse um, 29 and 30. It says, At the appointed time he shall return and go towards the south, but... He shall not be like the former or the latter. For ships from Cyprus shall come against him. If you have the King James, I think it, it says um, uh, the ships of Shittim, C-H-I-T-T-I-M, which is Rome. For ships from, let's just put it in, Rome shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return and rage against the Holy Covenant and do damage and so he shall return and show reward for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. This is where uh, Rome enters the picture. He breaks his covenant with Israel, 
but notice that some of the Jews betray their own people. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant. So with them, there were Jews that were again choosing on the wrong side. Um, Verse 31 is one that you're familiar with because we've studied it already in Daniel. And it is repeated at least three times as a picture of what's going to be in our future. Verse 32, those who do wickedly against the covenant shall be corrupted with flattery. Uh, But the people who know their God, uh, I'm sorry, 31 first, and Forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress, and they shall take away the daily sacrifice, that means the temple's there, and place there the abomination of desolation. Now, all you have to do is go back to Daniel chapter 9 and read verse uh, 27 again. Where well, Let's go back to 26 and remind you that we have Rome in view here. So we started with the Medo-Persian, we went through Alexander the Great, we talked about his four generals, we've been talking about the back and forth tug of war, and Israel always picking the wrong side and suffering greatly because of all this. But now, Greece is on its way out by these four leaders, and Rome now is on the rise. That's why I want to take you back to Daniel 9, where Daniel is given um, the most incredible prophecy in the Bible. If Daniel 11 is the most detailed, are you starting to understand the detail of Daniel 11? Well, Daniel 9 is the most important. Why? Because it tells us the very day the Messiah is going to come. So in verse 26, it says, after the 62 weeks or the, the 483 years, Uh, the Messiah is going to be cut off. And this is just simply mind-boggling. To the day it tells us, it's 173,880 days. Messiah will be cut off. And I've mentioned this before, the word there is karat. He'll be executed. The Messiah is going to be executed? Yes, but not for himself. Gang, there's a whole gospel right there. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to be executed after 177,000 880 days, April 6, 32 AD, Palm Sunday, the only time that Jesus allowed himself to be publicly worshipped. And the people of the prince who is to come, we're studying here about the future Antichrist in our text. Right now we're just studying about Antioch Epiphanes. What does he do? Antioch Epiphanes goes into the temple and in 170 BC, at which time 100,000 Jews were killed. He took the daily sacrifice from the temple, offered the blood and broth of a swine on the altar. He set up an image of Jupiter to be worshipped in the holy place of the temple. That's Antioch Epiphanes. But it's just a picture of the one who is yet to come. So when we read in verse 26... And the people of the prince who is to come, it's a reference to the future Antichrist, who I believe is alive today, for whatever that's worth. Now, 
the people that will come, they're going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, Jesus said exactly the same thing in Luke chapter 19. He said uh, in Luke 19, there won't be one stone left upon another. Um, They're going to build a siege around the city. And um, that was fulfilled 38 years later in 70 AD by the Romans. The Romans are in power now for almost a thousand years. And what they do is they destroy the city and the sanctuary, just like Jesus predicted. Now, that happened in 70 AD. But it makes reference of this prince who is to come, and then he's mentioned in verse 27. Now, between verse 26 and verse 27, we have the gap again, where we go into where God owes Israel one more seven-year period of time. Now, we've said this over and over and over again, but I'll say it over and over again this morning. Revelation 6 through 9, uh, 16 is a seven-year period of time. And the Holy Spirit goes out of his way over and over and over again, slicing it up, calling it different names so that we understand that there's something significant that happens in the very middle of the seven-year period of time. It's 1,260 days, it's 42 months, it's three and a half years, it's times, times, and half a times. And when we get into Daniel 12 next week, that's what we're going to read again, time, times, and a half a times. It only occurs in Daniel, and it only occurs in the book of Revelation. So we read here in verse 27, this is yet future, then he, well, who's the he? Well, the he is the prince who is to come. So this is yet future. He will confirm a covenant with many for one week. How long is one week? Seven years. But in the middle of the week, he brings an end to the sacrifice of offering. It's called the abomination of desolation. Look at verse, again, verse 31. And verse, it says again, we're repeating, um, forces will be mustered, he'll defile the sanctuary and take away the daily sacrifice and there place the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God will be strong and carry out great exploits. Now, this takes us back when Daniel uh, wanted to know when the abomination of desolation took place, how long would the cleanup be? And this is the period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament where Judas Maccabeus, this is a reference to his family, um, but this is 166 B.C., uh, the family of the Maccabees. Uh, Matthias, as a priest, raised a revolt against the awful blasphemy The family was called the Maccabees, that is the hammer. Actually, um, it is, uh, there is, uh, first and second Maccabees is in the Catholic Bible. It shouldn't be in there, but it is good for historical information. And it it talks about the exploits of the, the Maccabean revolt where they once again won their freedom uh, against um, the Syrians. 
All right. And verse uh, 33 and through 35, which will bring us to the end of history. Uh, and those of people who understanding shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by the sword and famine by captivity and plunder. And when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue. And some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purge them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it's still for an appointed time. At this point, history ends. At this point, our text, we have where prophecy begins. So just like in Daniel 9, between verse 26 and 27, there's a gap. So here in Daniel 11, between verse 35 and 36, this extremely detailed account of what happened between the Medes and the Persians and the Greece, Alexander the Great, his generals, how Rome began to come onto the scene, that's all part of what we've uh, that's why I call it the most detailed. And that's why the critics say, no way, Jose. You know, it'd have to be a miracle. And you go, when they, somebody says that, you go, <laughs> duh. <laughs> when are you going to wake up and strengthen the things that remain? When are you going to get it? This book cannot be changed. It cannot be altered. Jesus said heaven and earth is going to pass away, but not this book. If it's said... It's going to happen. Daniel 10 has the devil freaked out and he's doing everything in his power to stop this message to get to Daniel. But we're reading it openly this morning and uh, giving us information. Why? So that when we talk about the wild stuff that's taking, going to take place in Revelation, you go, well, that's just too far out. I can't believe that stuff. Well, you have to go back and, and talk about Antioch Epiphanies doing exactly the same thing and laying it out with great detail, and the devil not wanting us to have that information. All right. It brings us to our text, but don't get too worried. Most of the study had to deal with the detail of, of this. Turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We're setting a record this morning. There's only two cross-references. That's never happened before, as far as I can tell. Second Thessalonians, I'm going to read verse 36 while you're turning. Then the king shall do according to his own will. And she, he, he shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall sp- speak blasphemies against the god of gods and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. Now Paul, um, Referring to this, Second Thessalonians 2, we'll read the first four verses. I'm especially interested in verse 4. He says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, we ask you, we don't want you to be shaken in mind or troubled, either by a spirit or by word, by letter, or from us as though the day of Christ had come. The day of Christ is a great tribulation. He's saying, don't think it's come because uh, the man of sin hasn't been revealed yet. But let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Either the rapture of the church could be implied there or falling away from sound doctrine. The Bible says 
that people will not endure sound doctrine in the last days. You know what else the American church will not endure? A detailed Bible study like we're doing this morning. They won't. They want something easy and fluffy and let me go home and have my meal. But to dig in and have meat and potatoes and have a detailed Bible study is rare in the times in which we live. So here it explains that uh, it's either apostasy. I believe it's, I believe both are true. Uh, but don't be soon might, uh, but don't let it be troubled. Um, for that day will not come until the man of sin, and that's what we're reading about here in verse 36. The man of sin is revealed instead of perdition. That's just the name for the Antichrist. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Another reference to the abomination of desolation that stills to come. Now, Jesus gave details in Matthew 24. Uh, The critics may not believe in Daniel and his timing, but Jesus sure did. Jesus says, when you guys see in the future the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, whosoever reads, let him understand. Gang, you're not going to understand unless we do a detailed study of the book of Daniel. Good place for an amen. The detail has to be there for really it for it to have some teeth to it. And you go, this makes perfect sense. And you know what? It is perfect sense. Not only that, it's facts of history that drives non-believers crazy who want to debunk it any way they can. So Jesus refers to it tells them even where to go, tells them to flee into the wilderness. Pray it's not in the wintertime. Pray that you're not pregnant. Um, Don't go back into your house for anything. Head for the hills because the Antichrist, now we're in Revelation 12, has been cast down to earth. And the Bible says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because the devil has come down to you with great wrath. And who does he go after? He goes after the remnant And where are they running to? A place prepared for them uh, that we're going to get to in just a little bit called Petra. That is mentioned in Daniel chapter 11. But let's read verse 37 first. Verse 37 to 39, He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor any gods, for he shall magnify himself above them all. But in his place he will honor the, the God of fortress and a God which his fathers did not know. I, that makes him Jewish, in my opinion. Uh, he shall honor gold and silver, precious stones and pleasant things. And he shall act against the strongest fortresses in, of foreign gods. And he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he will cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. This is his hour. The Lord is going to turn it all over at this time. And the devil will never be able to say, if, I, if you would have given me my opportunity, I could have proven my point. Well, he's got three and a half years where hands are off. And he allows uh, the devil to have his three and a half years of time. So, Uh, In verse 40, at 
the time of the end, the kings of the south will attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. So remember it says when he comes out on a white horse, he comes in peaceably at first, you know, white horse and all that. But as time progresses, it says in, in uh, Revelation 6, 1, to conquer and to conquer. So now he's going after um, Egypt comes up against him, whoever the ruler of Egypt. And the king of the north, as we showed earlier, is Russia, like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen, many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. Um, so the, the kings of the south here would be Egypt in the future, and the king of the north, I believe, is Putin. That's just my two shekels worth right there, but I believe this, this is, the stage is set for all this to unfold. Verse 41, this is interesting. When he enters the glorious land, and many countries will be overthrown, but these will escape from his hands, Edom and Moab and the prominent people, of Ammon. Question. What is Edom? Modern day Jordan. Where's Petra? In Edom. And they're supernaturally protected. Now, we could get sidetracked here in Revelation 12, but let me just quote it to you and then you can research it more if you want to later. It says, When he's cast down from heaven, he goes and he makes war with the woman. The woman is Israel. And he sends a flood, probably an army, and, and that to take out the woman who's on their way to Petra. The Bible says the earth opens up and is supernaturally protected. And now we're reading here in Daniel that he's having no problem, the Antichrist, with his conquest, except for these countries surrounding Israel, right where Jesus told them to head. Oh, it's not that he tried not to get him. He did. But when he couldn't, it says he returns to go and make war with the remnant of the woman, which is Israel. So that's the scenario here, but we find it even in verse 41 uh, that he, the Antichrist uh, doesn't have much luck against these countries. He stretches out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So the land of Egypt um, here, in verse um, 42, Egypt as the king of the south will evidently yield to the Antichrist. But remember, we also have um, um, uh, most of Africa involved with this. Verse 44, 43 and 44, he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians, so this is Africa, shall follow at his heels. Now while he's involved with this war, he hears news from the east and the north will trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate them. In other words, he's engaged in battle. But all of a sudden he hears this report. Something's coming from the east. Now for those of you who are here on Wednesday night, I teased you about something about the kings of the east. And some of you are watching online. 
And I said, I'll explain it more fully when we get to Daniel chapter 11. This is where we have our only other cross-reference. Revelation chapter 16. If if, If you haven't seen the obvious yet, please begin to connect the dots between the book of Daniel and Revelation. Wednesday night I told you there would be more info on the kings of the east. Well, how come they're coming? Who told them to come? When we get to Revelation 16, picking up in verse 12, we find the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and the water was dried up so that the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, that's the devil, out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophets. They're all demon-possessed. And he sends these demons, uh, for they are the spirits of demons performing signs, which go to where? The kings of the earth, of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. What's unfolding in Daniel chapter 11 and how the kings of the east end up there is that there's demons that are actually involved in bringing now the world together to one place. And we read here, and we'll come back to this, in verse 15, red letters. We haven't had red letters since chapters 2 and 3, the church age. What's it doing here right before the Battle of Armageddon? It's for us, church. And... um, Basically, the Lord is saying, Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. One sentence. And they gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew, Armageddon. Now let's try to put the whole picture together. Keep your finger here. We'll come back one more time in closing. But go back to, and let's finish, Daniel chapter 11. Verse 44, but news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore, they shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate. So they're all coming together. The Euphrates um, actually ran through ancient Babylon along with the Tigris. This is all part of this area here. It's going to be dried up. Now, that can be done supernaturally during this period of time. But there's also dams in Turkey that can turn off the, turn off the water anytime they want to. Either way, it's dried up. And we know from Revelation that demonic spirits are directly involved with the gathering of the nations of the world to the battle of Armageddon. Okay, verse 45, our very last verse. And he, this is a reference to the Antichrist, shall plant the tents of his palace between the sea, that's the Mediterranean, and the glorious holy mountain, that's Jerusalem. Yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. Now, when the Lord comes in Revelation 19, at the Battle of Armageddon, which doesn't really take place, because when Jesus comes, he just speaks the word, And he immediately wipes them all out. 
except for the beast and the false prophet. They're thrown directly into the lake of fire, but not Lucifer. He's bound, Revelation 20, for 1,000 years. So he comes to an end, but then he's let loose for a short period of time, and that's a different Bible study in its own. But eventually, one of my favorite verses, is then he will be cast into the lake of fire, and he will be tormented forever and ever and ever. Now, he knows this. That's why you have Daniel chapter 10, doing everything with his resources to not let this information out. And yet, it is out. And that leaves us one more chapter that we'll get into next week. So Jesus said, unless he returns, no flesh would be saved. We have the armies of the world gathered in this valley. And we read in Revelation 14 that the blood is going to flow for 1,600 furlongs, which is 184 miles. And if you weren't here Wednesday or last Sunday when I said this, from Haifa, which is where these ships would come in and where they would come down and they would meet, that's the beginning of the Megiddo is right there. That's where the Battle of Armageddon is going to take place. It's exactly 184 miles from Mount Carmel to Petra, to the mile. Now, if that doesn't blow your brain, it should, because that's exactly the number that the, the scriptures tell us will happen. Oh, the detail that God has in his word. Daniel 11 is the most detailed prophecy in the Bible. And when we consider the many prophetic details of Daniel 11 that were fulfilled as predicted, well, now we have confidence that the remaining prophecies of this chapter and others in the Bible that are yet to be fulfilled will likewise occur just as God said he would. Through a dream, again, God showed this all to Daniel. But the part of the dream that I'll leave you thinking with is when the Antichrist divides the world into ten different kingdoms, he has to overthrow three of them. It says, in the days, this is Daniel 2.44, in the days of these kings... The God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. Praise the Lord. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these other kingdoms, and it will stand forever. So, Dwight, what do we do with Daniel chapter 11 anyway? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question this morning. Let's go back and close with the one verse that Jesus, I believe, purposely knowing that we have to connect these two books. And right before the very last bold judgment, which is the world's greatest earthquake, every city is destroyed, every island fades away, and hailstones somewhere between 75 and 125 pounds plummet the planet and destroy the planet. That's why Jesus said, unless he returns, no flesh would be saved. So what do we do with all this ahead of time? Well, let's go back to verse 15, where he completely changes the subject 
about the judgments, and now he wants to talk to me and you. And so this is how we'll close it this morning. And he says, behold, I am coming like a thief. Before this period of time can come, it's like a thief. He didn't come like a thief the first time. The people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, this is the day that the Lord has made. That wasn't a thief. Some people knew. Pharisees didn't, but some people did. It's just like the, the, the ten virgins, five were wise and five were foolish. Some were ready, had their lamps lit, some weren't. And when the Lord came, they were left behind. And don't think it's not going to happen. There are Christians who think they're Christians and they're not born again. And my Bible says you must be born again. And he said that to a very religious Jewish leader. Good place for an amen. Amen, you must be born again. (laughs) And um, he says, watch. As it was in the days of Noah, that's what it's going to be like. Well, what was it like in the days of Noah? Uh, Everyday life. Go home, cook Johnsonville brats, you know. Watch this old house in the afternoon. That's what I like to do, you know. Just life goes on. Um, Heard a couple this morning that uh, are getting married. I won't mention any names. But if I were you, I would go around and be inquisitive. You know, an inquisitive mind wants to know. Why do I say that? It says because they'll be marrying and giving in marriage. Life is normal. And there's people that actually believe we're in the great tribulation right now after reading what we're reading? No, no sense at all. But he's coming as a thief, and now he says, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment. In other words, hang in there, church. Don't, don't think there's another way. There's no other God but one God. Allah is not a God. He's a figment of, of Satan's imagination. There are many false Christs, many false doctrines. Don't go away from uh, the things that Paul says you've been trained up with. Just don't leave them. And keeps his garment. Well, your garment is your righteousness in Jesus Christ. You don't deserve salvation. It's a free gift. And you're clothed as a bride for his groom. And we want to keep it in the context of keeping your first love, your first love. Information is important. But what did the angel always say before the information? Daniel, know this. God really loves you a lot. And that's more important. Ask the church of Ephesus that left their first love when they had all the right things going for it. So whatever you do, just keep loving Jesus. And um, your white garment is his grace, his righteousness. Don't think that anything else can clothe you because if you do, then your, your nakedness will be seen. Maybe showing that, well, I can get him by being a nice guy or good works or something like that. No, none good, none righteous, no, not one. And walk in nakedness and they see his shame. Well, before you go, um, everybody's going to have to take a test in the order of these wars in, in detail, and then, and then the ushers will let you go home. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And we were in awe, Lord, as we see that you, your word tells us that this world will pass away, but not this book. 
And um, we stand in awe of its accuracy. And um, your word tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by your word. I pray for any here this morning that are not born again, and they know it. And um, they would understand that, that it's all about your grace and your, you want to give them your righteousness. I, I pray for that one this morning that in the quiet of their own heart, They'll repent of their sins. They'll do a 180 and turn from their old life. And they'll start this new life that you call being born again. And so we just give thanks uh, for your word and pray that you bless the rest of our day. And as we finish up the book of Daniel, that you bless that too. In Jesus' name, amen.